Well, it's great that uh, you're joining us today for this service, and I really hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, This has gone on a long time. We think we see the light at the end of the tunnel with uh, with COVID, and uh, hopefully we'll be together soon, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, Just before I pray and and, and I preach, I just want uh, to encourage you to really listen for the voice of God today. You know, some previous um, preachers would alliterate their sermons so that people could remember every single point. I don't do that, never have. What I, what I would love, though, is, is for people who listen to me preach, have that moment when they know God has spoken. The voice is clear in their minds and in their hearts, and they know the Lord has addressed their lives. So today, will you listen for the voice? Uh, today, will you uh, be open and receptive to what God has to say to you? Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, the God who is eager, as we have recently learned, to be in conversational relationship with us, we pray that you would speak now. By your spirit, you would uh, communicate to each person listening, and that, Lord, each person would know, they would recognize that voice, uh, that they might respond to it in the way of your calling. So, Lord, that's our prayer for this time. It's our prayer that we would have this intimate connection with you, this moment of communication with you, uh, that, uh, that we might respond in a way of your choosing, that we might honor you through our response to your word. So bless us now, we pray, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, move, work in us, work through this text, work through my words, I pray, Lord, that people might hear your voice, people might know your will be strengthened by faith in it. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, have you ever had those times in life uh, when you're really disappointed with God? It's a pretty devastating thing when it happens, but it happens. Have you had times when you're uh, really confused about what God is doing in your life? You just don't understand what he's up to? Have you times when you even get angry with God? Angry with him because of what he's allowed in your life, what he continues to allow in your life. Do you ever get to that point in life when you feel like you need him the most? That at that point, you feel like you sense his presence the least? No, that time when you think about it, God, why didn't you keep that divorce from happening? You could have. You're able. You're God. Why didn't you stop it? Or, God, why didn't you intervene when I was experiencing that abuse? You could have. You're able. You're powerful. You're God. Why did you do nothing? Or, you know, that stroke that I had that has such a debilitating effect on my life, why did you let that happen? You could have healed me. You could have stopped that, God. And you see, we move into experiences of life And they're difficult for a believer. But they're experiences of life where we just don't understand why a God of love and a God of goodness and a God of power let some of these things happen to us. And then when we really need him in our brokenness and in our hurt, he seems silent. He is missing in action, as we said last week. God, where are you, we ask. And we all respond. We do, to God, one way or the other. 
We're going to think about responding to God in these times today. As we continue to work through John chapter 11. Um, last week we learned, and just really briefly, that God allows these things to happen. Jesus didn't go to Lazarus when he was dying. He let him die, and then he went. And it's explicit. The reason Jesus did that was so that God could be glorified in his son and that people could come to believe. Their faith would de be deepened and strengthened and made profound in their lives. And of course, as people come to believe, their eyes are open to see this incredible God and they're left with, with a sense of awe about how incredible God is. They see his glory. And that's what God wants for his good, for our good, for everyone's good. So yes, he allows it, and eventually God chooses to do what God chooses to do, and we find blessing in things. And I'm going to look at some of these responses. The, these responses mostly to Jesus and these in-between times when something has happened especially and God doesn't act or he doesn't show up to bless or to help or to heal. Um, and what I'd like to do is invite you to see if you can find yourself in one of these responses. Would you do that? Um, we're going to work through the text little by little, and we're going to start by looking at the disciples' response to Jesus. Now, this is brief, but it has some significance. So let me read John 11. We're going to read 1 to 16, and then I'll speak about the response of the disciples that you'll see at the latter part of this text. It says there, and I'll read this whole story again from the beginning for the sake of flow. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, um, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. And when a person walks at night, it, it is when the person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let, let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now just briefly, just briefly, there is confusion here among the disciples. This is their response to Jesus. A simple lack of understanding essentially in what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is wanting and what Jesus is doing. You know, Jesus says, let's go back to Jerusalem, and they say, it's not safe. They tried to kill you there before. Why would you go back? It makes no sense, Jesus. And then Jesus tells them that Lazarus has fallen asleep and they think that he's just naturally asleep, as the text says, and that if he's asleep, he's going to get better, so why do we need to go? 
it's, it's almost like, like Jesus and the disciples are missing each other, or better stated, the disciples are not getting what Jesus has to say. He's speaking on one level, and they're, they're missing it. They're operating on a different level. And, and there's just this confusion which characterizes this text. Um, do you sometimes find yourself there? Things happen, and you just don't understand why Jesus is doing what Jesus has done, what he has allowed, what he's not doing in your life in that present moment. We just don't get it at all. And it's like this. Jesus is action, active. Jesus is at work, and we miss it. Well, I think a lot of people find themselves in that place of confusion. Well, the next response comes from, from Martha. Let me read from 17 all the way to 26. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, this, this interaction with Mary is, is so interesting. And the reality is that, that in one way, I think we could call it laudable. There's a lot that Ma Martha does here that's right. It's good. Um, it's way better than absolute confusion, L complete lack of understanding that the disciples seem to be engaging with. Because here, Martha expresses real faith in Jesus. Um, Lord, she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, that's true. She believes in this one named Jesus. She, she knows that God's power is his to exercise in the lives of people who are sick. She's seen it. She's experienced it. She has real faith in Christ. And then this, even now, she says, God will give you whatever you ask. Again, faith in what Jesus can do. Her hope is in Christ. Even now, the Father will give you what you ask him. Martha says to Jesus, even in the face of death. See, it's impressive in one way. But then the problems start to emerge. Jesus' response to her is that Lazarus will rise again, and Martha thinks he's speaking of the resurrection in the last day, many, many years into the future. She's right in her thinking. You know, theologically, she's got this figured out. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. The Sadducees did not. She's on the right side of the equation. You know, she's got it. She's correct. She agrees with Jesus' perspective in this, obviously. But she's missing something that Jesus is telling her. Once again. She's accurate in her thinking. But she's not understanding him. And then Jesus speaks this great statement. I am the resurrection and the life, he says to her. And he goes on to describe the reality. If you believe in me, you never die. Oh, physically you might die, but your spirit lives on. It'll it live for eternity. And what he's saying to her in this text 
is you don't have to wait for the final resurrection to come. (laughs) I am the resurrection, Jesus says to her. The resurrection is present to you. I am the one who gives life even to those who have died, Jesus is saying. Those who believe in me, they will live. It's an incredible declaration. And it's not just for the future. It's, it's, It's present. It's real. Jesus asks Martha, you know, do you believe this? And then verse 27 says this. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You know, again, this is accurate. This is good. It's theological truth. But when you think about it, there's a deeper understanding that Martha is not taking hold of. You know, I would guess that when this is our response, when this is our reality, that's where a lot of believers, followers of Jesus, struggle. We know who Jesus is. We know Jesus is the Messiah. We know Jesus is the Son of God. We know that Jesus has the power to heal and to solve our problems and to do what we need done. We're accurate in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he can accomplish. (laughs) My friends, often that's not enough. God... uh, if you loved me, would you, let, would, have, would you have let that happen? You know? God, where are you? I need you. God, <clears throat> Jesus, if you were the son of God, Martha said, why, why, why let my brother die? But in our instances, Jesus, if you were the son of God, and I believe you are, why did you let that divorce happen? Why did you let that abuse happen? Why did you let that stroke happen? And on and on we go. You see, my friends, we, we can aspire in, in a sense to what Martha is presenting to us, right belief. And we need to believe the right things. But we need more. Well, the third response comes to us from, from Mary. Um, and uh, it's such an interesting context that, that you know, Martha is there speaking to Jesus and Jesus asks for her. Let's, let's read from verse 28 to 32. After she, Martha, had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I want to tell you that there's something significant about the fact uh, that Martha went to Jesus when he came close. She went right away. She's the activist. She's the one who makes things happen. Remember her? Previously, when Mary and Martha hosted Jesus in their home, Martha's in the kitchen. She's making things happen. She's getting the meal prepared. Um, but, G- but, but Mary didn't go. Um, Jesus is concerned for her. He has her in his mind. He has Mary in her, her his heart. 
You know, he knows she'll be struggling and grieving and in pain. And he could have gone to her, but he chose not to. He waited where he was because he wanted Mary to come to him. And he waited until she did. Now, I want to tell you, that's instructive. Because in our struggles, isn't it true that it is really easy to stay away <laughs> from the Lord? Sometimes he's the last person that we go to. You know, we, we, we experience life and it hurts us and we're confused like the disciples or, and we have a right belief and, we, and, and it's still with us. You know, we don't give up on that belief. Um, but in our hurt, sometimes we don't go to the Lord Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus wants us to. Jesus essentially is asking for Mary and he's wanting her to come. That's what Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you are, are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Jesus says in another context. Come to me. There could be people today in that place of struggle and, and confusion and pain and heartache, and you don't understand. And you're holding on to faith in Jesus, the belief about who Jesus is. But you haven't gone to him. Can I encourage you to go to him? Enter into his presence and get honest with him about where you're at? Well, Mary does this very thing. And she does two things, really important things. Number one, it says that she, she falls at his feet. And secondly, the text says she uses exactly the same words that Martha, her sister, has previously used. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Exactly the same words. And I want to suggest to you that invites comparison between the two sisters for our benefit, for our learning. And see, the difference is what Mary did first, what she did before she spoke those words, because the difference is so significant. It says that she fell at his feet. This is common for Mary. You know, the previous story, I've mentioned it. Martha's in the kitchen, and where is Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. She's taken the posture of a disciple, a learner, learning from the teacher, the rabbi. She wants to know his thinking. She wants to understand the reality of the kingdom of God. She wants to know what it means to follow after him. Be part of this new, new thing that God has created in the presence of Christ and in his coming. And here, she does it again. She falls at his feet, yes, to be a disciple, it's, it's suggesting, Lord, help me understand. Help me to know your mind. Help me in my hurt and in my confusion and in my sorrow to know what's going on. But can I suggest this secondly, and probably even more important? She humbles herself before Jesus. Think of the picture. Think of the picture. <laughs> She's at his feet. She humbles him, herself before him, and she elevates Christ. You see, this is a picture of struggle and deep faith. This is a picture of someone with real hurt in her life, but also a recognition of who Jesus is that goes beyond theology or doctrinal understanding, statements about him. It goes beyond right thinking to worship. You know, and it tells us it's okay to do both. It's okay to have 
struggles and to question what God did or what God didn't do. It's, un- it's okay to not understand why Jesus didn't come. Yet, my friends, we need to go beyond right thinking. <laughs> go beyond right thinking even about Jesus to actually trusting in him as God. Yielding ourselves to him and yielding ourselves to his sovereign will for our lives. To honor who he is, yes, to know who he is. But to honor what he has done and what he has allowed to be done in our lives. My friends, I want to suggest you this this example of Mary, this teaching that comes to us from Mary as she humbles herself before Jesus and elevates him in her mind and worships him. That's our call. It's what we're called to do when we're brokenhearted and hurting. We need to bow before Jesus after we go to him. And we need to accept by faith his sovereign choices for our lives and his sovereign will for our lives. By faith, you see, we have to yield to what he has allowed in our lives as an act of worship, as an act of deep trust in him. Well, there's one more response I want to speak to today. And it's not a response, as I've said, to Jesus. It's the response of Jesus so to what he encounters in that place, in that moment. Let me read verse 33 to you as we continue through the text. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You know what that means? Uh, it means he got really angry. I don't know if you think of Jesus as angry very often, but it happens more than once. Uh, another t- translation says that he was deeply agitated. You know the original meaning of that in, in, in the original language? It's uh, snorting agitation. <laughs> I kind of think of a really angry bull. He can hardly contain himself. and Snorting, annoyed what's going on around him. But no, Jesus is mad. No. Take a minute. Why do you think he was so angry? What was it that made Jesus mad? I ask that question because when we find ourselves in those tough spots, we can get mad too. And very often, the one that we get mad at is God. It's not uncommon if we'll get honest with ourselves. You know, God is silent. God hasn't acted. God didn't prevent the hurt from happening when he could have. And God, now I can't hear you. It's like you're missing an action, as we've said before. But who did Jesus get mad at, or what did he get mad at? Can I suggest this to you from the context? I think it's clear. Jesus is angry because of the suffering that he's observing. Mary. Martha, this crowd of people who would have been mourning and wailing as happened then and I assume still does in the Middle East. He sees people he loves, Mary and Martha. He sees them brokenhearted. He sees them grieving. He sees them hurting deeply. And I want to tell you this. He gets angry because of the effects of evil. He gets angry at the evil which has caused the death which has produced the suffering and the brokenness in in the lives of people he really loves. Now, (laughs) 
What's going on here is that Jesus is looking at this, this scene, and he knows this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't what God created these people to know. This isn't the way life is supposed to be. And of course, that's why Jesus came to the earth to, to, to join us, to uh, become human like us, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, to rise to new life, to be our living Lord, to ascend to the right hand of God in heaven, to send his Holy Spirit into this world of Pentecost, that the church might be formed, that the world might be transformed in the knowledge of God, doing God's will. So that in the end of the day, we end up in Revelation 21, which says no more crying, no more pain, no more death. That's the goal. That's why Jesus came. Now I want to tell you, my friends, that's why he was angry at the wrong that evil had committed here. Can I say this to you next time you're tempted to get angry with God because of what he has allowed in your life? Can you direct your anger not at the Lord, but at the cause of that pain and suffering and heartache? It's evil. It's sin. It's, it's the fallenness of this world. Be angry at the source of your pain, not at the God who has allowed it. Well, there's a second response of Jesus. 34 and 35 say this. Where have you laid him, Jesus asks Mary. Come and see, Lord, they replied. I guess it's Mary and Martha. Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. You know, he cried. He cried. You know, in our suffering, um, we are tempted to think that God, in his silence, and his lack of involvement, and his lack of exercising of power to keep us from pain and to take us from it sometimes even we have the temptation to think that god is distant and that god is unloving and that he's uncaring about us in our grief and in our sorrow that he is somehow un untouched by our lives and where we find ourselves do you know what's true according to this text what's true is the exact opposite of what i just described you know when we are hurting Listen to me, when, when, when you are hurting, Jesus hurts too. When you weep, Jesus weeps. And I want to ask you in all sincerity, do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that he cares so much for you that when he sees you in that kind of pain, it moves him deeply, it hurts him too? and causes his tears to flow? I want to tell you it can't be otherwise when God loves to the extent that God loves. And it's contrary to what silence and inactivity might suggest. But the truth is that he is with us and he is suffering alongside with us. He is present to us and he is suffering with us. Now listen, as we wind down, have you been able to find yourself in this text, your response? When those times happen when we're disappointed with God or we're confused or we're angry even with God, when we need him the most, but it's when it seems that he's there the least? Well, you could be like the disciples in confusion. Is that your response? Could be that you have a right theology, like Martha, 
but you know it's not enough. And it could be like Mary, that you come to that place of worshipful trust and submission to God and his sovereign will in your life. I encourage you to that, my friends. I really encourage you to to know that God is with you and to trust him implicitly because he has a purpose, he has a plan. He's taking you somewhere and something incredibly good is coming. It doesn't matter what your circumstance, that is the biblical reality for those who are in Christ. I want to read a final passage to you. It comes from uh, Psalm 34. Great text, verses 17 and 18. I want you to listen to this. It says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. Never think that God doesn't hear you. He's with you. And then it goes on. He delivers them from all their troubles, and he will at the time of his choosing. Then this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's right there. Might not know it, might not feel it, might not hear from him, but he is with you. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And my friends, I I want to suggest to you from this text that right theology is good. We need to know who Jesus is, and we need to know that he has power, and we need to know that he can heal, and so much else. It's good. It's so important. But we do have to go beyond just knowing what's true about Jesus to actually trusting him. We have to go beyond knowing that he's the Messiah and that he's the Son of God to knowing that this one named Jesus loves us, and he is with us, and he weeps with us because of his love. And we need to know that he is one who will deliver us and he will save us. See, my friends, that's the faith we need in the end. And it is that which will carry us through to the good day that we will find in him when our eyes are opened and we see his glory. And we're left in awe because of what God has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, these are difficult times that we encounter in our lives. You know that. And Lord, we're tempted sometimes to think that you don't care or we're tempted to confusion and we don't understand. All these things are so human, Lord. But the text is so clear tonight. Your word, or today, your word is spoken. The reality is, the reality is that you call us to worship your son to faithfully follow after him, to trust him implicitly with where we're at and with what he has allowed. (laughs) Your word calls us to cry out to him. We need to be honest with him. But in the end, to believe with all of our hearts that he is our deliverer and he is our savior. God, I pray for people who are struggling and suffering, maybe grieving right now. And I pray, Lord, that their faith in Jesus will go beyond their knowledge of Jesus. Lord, because of what they know of him and what I've preached today, I pray that they'll be able to trust him completely and they'll be able to yield themselves to his sovereign will in their lives, knowing that a good day is coming, knowing that day will come when 
they see and they understand what you have done, when they are left in amazement as they recognize the glory of God in Christ. So, Lord, bless those people. And for others, Lord, who aren't there right now, maybe haven't gotten there, but likely will, God, I pray that they'll let these truths sink into their souls so that when that day comes, they'll know what to do. They'll know how to respond. And I just pray that you'll, you'll prepare people, Lord, um, and that you'll carry them through that day as well. Lord, your word tells us today that, you, that Christ is an amazing Savior, an amazing Lord, a God of presence, a God of power, a God of love, a God of wisdom, a God who understands when we don't, the God who knows what's coming in our future and is designing our path in the way of his choosing. Lord, you are the good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness for your sake, leading us to that place, Lord, of blessing. So, Lord, build our faith, especially in the midst of difficult times, and help us to worship you and to trust you and to yield to what you have chosen for us. This I pray. This we pray together in the name of Christ. Amen.